0: Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter twenty-one. Hallelujah! It's time for you guys to get a little charismatic on this. We're at the end. Look at John's been pretty awesome. I've enjoyed it so much. To be in the final chapter here is just, uh, man. It's it's been a it's been a labor of love for me to be in the Word this, laboring over the Word of God this long with you, just in in one book. I've grown a lot personally. I've uh, I've, I've my views of the Lord have grown and have changed. Um, I don't know about you, but through this experience, um, the emphasis on true faith, true belief, what it is, what it isn't, has really come to light in my heart. I've been really challenged in my own um, typical evangelical Christianity. Um, you know, hey, go to church. I said the prayer. We're all good. But what Jesus calls people to is just so profound. The the way, obviously, is narrow, and few find it, but those who find it, man, we find a, just riches beyond riches, and how the Lord, once we, uh, we uh he brings us to faith, he sustains us in faith, he grows us in him, he leads us in him, and it just blows me away. I can identify so much with Peter, just totally at sea, lost, putting foot in mouth constantly, and then, uh, You know, he wakes me up to the fact of who he is. He restores me. He seeks me out. He's the one who builds me up. And then he says, Hey, now I'm going to use you. And it's like, Are you sure about that, Lord? Yeah, it was the plan all along that he might be glorified. And so, anyways, just enjoying the book of John I have with you. And so, as we look at John chapter 21, we're in the final chapter of John, uh, which is really the epilogue of John. It's kind of the footnotes, the end of the book of John. John really finished his gospel in chapter 20, and now he's finishing up some things that he needs to go back to, um, some loose ends. Mainly, what happened to Peter? We know that he denied Jesus, and that was kind of left. That was the main thing that John was pointing out. He denied him three times. You got to remember, John and Peter were close friends. I mean, they're always being mentioned together in Acts and all these things, and we're going to see that as we go through here. But John wants to go back and and tie tie that up and really concerning the Lord and what he has to say about all that. And so chapter uh, chapter 21 takes place, as you read in verse 1, at the Sea of of Tiberias or Sea of Galilee. um, In the southern part of of the Sea of Galilee, there's a city called Tiberias, obviously named after an emperor. And And so a lot of people call it the Sea of Tiberias, which John does. Everybody else calls it the Sea of Galilee. So that's where it's taking place. Uh, we know that this is uh, from verse uh, 14, basically, that uh, this is the third time that Jesus appears to his disciples uh, after his resurrection. We know from Acts 1-3 that Jesus appears to his disciples over a period of 40 days. And so this would be the third time that all this happens. Um, not all the disciples are there. Uh, we, we know this, and uh, in, in John's going to talk about it in just a second. But basically, um, as they're there, Jesus has already told the disciples, go to Galilee, go to a mountain, which I'm going to tell you, and wait for me. And so that's what they're doing. They're waiting for Jesus in Galilee, and it seems like they're going to go fishing while they're waiting. There's a mountain that runs right into the ocean. This is where the Sermon on the Mount was, or not the ocean, the sea there. And they're hanging out. So John lets us know that not all the disciples were present. If you have your Bibles, you can read in verse 2, just seven of them are there. These are the, probably the guys who hung out before Jesus called them, all the fishermen. Uh, so Simon Peter, who's named first, usually because he's, uh, he's the spokesman for the disciples. So you've got Simon Peter, you've got Thomas called the twin. We know Thomas, we just talked about him in the last chapter. But unless I see him, unless I put my hands on his side, I'm not going to believe. And Thomas, when that happens, he puts his hand on his side and, and he just my Lord and my God to Jesus. So one of Thomas is there, basically, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee. you got the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. So John, the one who's writing this, and his brother, and two other disciples whom John doesn't identify for some reason. He does the same thing on uh, the—well, the other Gospels do it— the same thing on the road to Emmaus. So this might be um, uh, Clopas or someone like that. Regardless, there's other disciples there. And so they're waiting for Jesus, and seemingly to preoccupy themselves, they go back to what they've always done. And Peter says in verse 3, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we're going to go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And so after an entire night of fishing, verse 4 says that just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And so just apparently after after the crucifixion and Jesus rose from the dead, he was unrecognizable. Some say that's because he was disfigured. Some say... It was different things, but I think it's kind of like the Old Testament angel of the Lord. You didn't recognize who he was, and he just kind of was in that state. But regardless, he wasn't he was unrecognizable unless the Lord wanted him to be himself to be revealed. And you had that with Mary Magdalene. She didn't recognize him. She thought that he was a gardener at first. Then she realized it was the Lord after something he had said. Um, and same thing, they thought he was a ghost when he appeared in that room, and then he shares with them again. No, this is me. And so they did not recognize him. The guys on the road to Emmaus did not res- recognize him. And so the Lord has to reveal himself. The Lord has to open the eyes of people in order to recognize him. And that's the point. That's what God does. He's into opening up our eyes to see who he truly is. Otherwise, we would not know. Just as John said in chapter 1, the light came into the world, basically, and the world did not recognize the light. They tried to snuff it out, actually. And so he allows them to recognize him. Verse 5 says that Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? Right? And they answered him, No. How many of you love that question when you're going fishing? I love it when I'm catching something, but when I'm not, it's like, Yeah, no, I stink at this. Thank you very much. Um, And so the children call them, uh, so Jesus calls them children there, a term of endearment um, in as he's affectionately calling out to them and says, do you have anything? And they say, no. And verse six says, and he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciples whom Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. This jogged John's memory. Something about this event caused him to recognize that it was Jesus. And by the way, this, this wasn't the first time this had happened. You guys remember back in Luke 5, we'll read it in just a minute, that this is exactly how Jesus called them out of the world and to himself. This is when they left their nets and they followed him. He was teaching, he got into their boat, and then afterwards he told them, hey, push out into deeper waters. And they said, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. And then they caught such a great catch. Peter comes in, falls on the shore and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He just knew his own emptiness in the light of God's holiness, standing there on the shore of Galilee. And so as John recognizes, as they are just catching an innumerable amount of fish at, at, at start, they find, we find out it's 153 large fish is the word in the Greek, large because you know it gets bigger every time, right? <laughs> but they were large, right? So they can't even pull them in. There's so many fish, and John's just clicking. He's going, "This has got to be the Lord. This is the Lord, Peter." They're hanging out on the boat. It's the Lord. Circumstances are repeating themselves as he's looking at all the fish. He's going, "Man, this is this is Jesus. This is His hand. This is His blessing. This is His presence. That's His voice. That's Him." when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. How many of you just love Peter? I love Peter. He is all in. What's that Tozer quote? Uh, quote? I'd rather uh, restrain a zealot than resurrect the dead. He's talking about, talk about the church. It's like, I'd rather deal with people who are excited about Jesus and misdirected than trying to get dead people to live like, Come on, let's go, you know? Peter's just all in. He's the first to, uh, you know, step out onto the water and to walk, right? And he sunk. But no one else got out of the boat. He's the first into the tomb. He's the first to dec- declare on behalf of the disciples, you are the Christ, the Son of God. I love this. He's the first to pull out a sword and hack off Malchus' ear, right? He's the first to declare, I'll die for you. And they all chimed in, yeah, we will too. Anyways, he just abandons ship and swims to Jesus, leaving everything else behind, just jumps in fully and swims to shore. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards. Some of you say cubit that works out to 300 feet, and that's why they just moved it into yards. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And so Simon Peter, Simon Peter went aboard and hauled in the net ashore uh, uh, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was torn. I love it. All the guys are struggling to pull it in, and Peter just single-handedly goes on board, grabs the fish, you know, drags it into the shore. But we know these guys were fishermen, right? We know these guys were fishermen by trade. They toiled all night, all night, and they caught nothing. Must have been pretty frustrating. But, and so just as they're wrapping it up, this guy from the shore says, hey, you caught anything, right? No, cast your net on the other side. Do you think they would tried that? I don't, anybody of you, how many of you have gone fishing and have like cast your net on every single side? How many of you have gone shopping and gone to every single site to try to get the best deal? Yeah, okay, more relatable there. Um, they were casting their net all over the place that night. But you see the point that Jesus was teaching them, specifically Peter, was that their fruits, their, their, they were fruitless in their self-effort. They were fruitless in their self-effort. What they thought they could do, whatever they thought they could do, accomplish in their own skill, in their own strength, in whatever God had called them to, they were going to be barren. They were going to have empty nets. They needed to be fully dependent upon the voice of the Lord in their lives and the call upon them, their ministries, Otherwise, they would have empty nets. And that's exactly what had happened to Peter. When they did listen to the Lord, there was such a catch that they couldn't contain it. And that's the point. What did Jesus said said to them night before he was betrayed, or the night he was betrayed? Peter said, "Man, I am going to do what? I'm gonna lay down my life for you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to do these things. There's no way I'm going to let you do that. And what did did Peter find out about himself later that night? What Jesus knew about him. Peter, you've got an empty net. All the boasting, all your skill, all your claim, all your experience is nothing now. I'm the one who brings life into your life. I'm the one who brings fruitfulness into your net. I'm the one. At my command, the fish go into your net. At my command, do you know that, Peter? Because what I'm sending you into, what you're going to do, there's no room for Peter. This is all about me and my glory, my Father's glory. Will you lose yourself? Will you depend fully upon me? And that was what was going to happen as the fish nets would be so full and not break at Pentecost and beyond as we are a part of that net that has been gathered up of the righteous. Hopefully you believe in Christ this morning. They caught a catch that day. They couldn't handle 153 fish. Jesus had called himself to those, uh, uh, to those uh, he, Jesus had called those disciples to himself on those same shores a couple years earlier. This is what I wanted to go back to. If you remember back in Luke 5, verses 1 through 11, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, same lake, Sea of Galilee. And they saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out, had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting in one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little further from land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. Breaking then, not later. And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his knees and saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And I think this first net was symbolic of of Peter's breaking. Peter would break. He wouldn't be able to contain it. But the second time, after the Lord has restored him here, Peter would be restored. I think Jesus said to him, you know, after you are restored, go and comfort others with the comfort I've given you, basically. Something along those lines. But G- Peter right here, he, he was broken before the Lord at his calling. He, he just knew his emptiness. You know, see, this is how we come to Christ, everybody. We don't come to Christ because we have an emotional experience and then, you know, we like the song and the guy said a good message. And I think I'll, you know, God fits into my life. No, it's an absolute total conviction of the Holy Spirit about our total emptiness before God. And if you haven't had that in your life, I would question your conversion. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He 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 brings us to the place where we realize that we are broken and sinful before a holy God. On whatever level that is, I mean, obviously it's different, but there's a conviction by the Holy Spirit driving us to the Savior. And that's the purpose. We're driven to Jesus. He's not an option. He is life. And we surrender our lives to Him. We surrender Everything to him, and obviously we don't have full knowledge of all the theology at that point, but there is a a breaking, there's a giving to him. And we become born again by God's grace and God's work in our hearts. Peter said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken, and so... Also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. You're going to be a fisher of men. You're no longer going to be catching fish. You're going to be catching souls for the kingdom. I have a different calling for you. Calling you out of that and into this. You have a new life, a new purpose in me. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him what is everything their livelihoods their fishing tackle their boats their stuff they surrendered it to follow jesus you know jesus says this often unless you love me more than whatever it is fill in the blank you can't be my disciple unless you love me more than your wife, your kids, your mom, your dad, unless you love me more than your job, unless you love me more than the business, unless you love me more than uh, the recreational events, unless you love me more than church, unless you love me more (laughs) than anything. You can't be my disciple. He, He demands supreme affection for him. And this is where he's driving Peter back to because Peter had thought he had that, but he didn't. I love it. He says, don't be afraid. As Peter comes to that conviction, and that's what happens to us when we come to the Lord, is, is this purpose love casts out fears. Don't be afraid. I'm going to call you to something. I'm going to empower you to do something. And they left everything and followed Him. And there was this total abandonment of self to follow Jesus. We know Peter was married; he had kids, and Jesus is bringing Peter and the guys back to that calling, simply following him again. Peter had thought he had the ability to do what only the Lord could actually do in him. And he said he would die for Jesus, but he denied him three times. His net was empty, and the Lord was showing him. And so they get to shore, and verse 12 says, And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord, and Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this is the third time that Jesus was revealed to them, uh, to the disciples, after he was raised from the dead. I I find it so funny that they toiled all night, only to find that Jesus had breakfast on shore. Any of you experienced that? When they listened to the Lord, and they caught all those fish, Jesus says, come bring some of the fish that you just caught. What's with that? Don't you love how the Lord does that? It's all him. And yet he lets us enjoy and participate in the fruits of everything that's going on. I mean, how sweet is that? He's so kind to them. And they're so thoroughly like, you know, they're sheep. The Lord commanded the fish into the net, no doubt. Right? Right? He told the fish, hey, go there. They went in. And they got to share in the harvest with the Lord. And that's what the Lord does with the people. The Lord, how many of you have shared the Lord with someone and, and they come to the Lord and there's just a great joy in your life because their lives are changed and you get to participate in that? It's exciting. There's nothing like it. It's a work of God. It's a miracle. And yet, we're partners with him in that. He does all the work. He directs the fish. And we get to be in on the blessing by casting the net of the gospel. I love it. We share in the joy. And by the way, no minor point, Jesus provides breakfast. He provides for their needs as they trust and obey. Jesus will provide for you guys. Hear his voice. Follow his commands. He will provide, and Jesus provided for them. Verse fifteen. And now the Lord speaks to Peter. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now it's really hard to tell, what what actually is being uh, spoken about here. Uh, is he, does these mean the fishing nets? Does it mean the boats? Does it mean um, does it mean the the other guys? Does it mean you know what what does this mean? A lot of different people think it's regarding the the, the fishing. Some people think it's regarding his friends there. But I think regardless, Jesus was asking Peter if his love for him surpassed everything. Take stock of your life right now. If Jesus were to walk up to you and say, do you love me more than these? What would these these things be? The next few verses, this is a play on words that in the Greek text, doesn't really come out in our English as Jesus starts talking about this love. There are two words for love being used here in this exchange for Peter. Jesus says, do you love me? And that, high, that, that first word there is, is agape or a form of it. And it is the highest form of love. It's a supreme love. It signifies total commitment. Do you unconditionally love me, Peter, like you said you did? back in the room before I died and I was betrayed and that's the that's the context here Peter do you love me more than the disciples the fish the boats the fishing am I your supreme love and he said to him yes Lord you know that I love you different word for love the word is phileo I love you like a brother. It's a brotherly love. It's a familiar love, like a family member. It's not as if Peter didn't want to declare his supreme love for Jesus, but he had been disobedient to him. He knew he didn't love him. He knew he didn't uh, wasn't meeting up to what Jesus said, and Jesus calls him on it. You said you would love me like this, but you didn't. Now, Jesus isn't rubbing his nose in it. He's restoring him, but he has to... Show Peter that his net was truly empty. He had been disobedient. Nevertheless, Jesus says to him, then feed my lambs. You love me like a brother, feed my lambs. Peter, if you love me, show it. Show it by doing something about it. And this is what I'm calling you to, what I've called you to, to Feed my lambs, love my lambs. That is, those fish that would be caught in the net and brought into the kingdom, Peter was to feed those lambs, the young sheep. And the idea is that they were to be, there's a direct correlation between Peter's love for the Lord and his love for one another. If you love me, then you'll obey my command. And this is my command that you what? Love one another as I have loved you and Peter, for you, it's feed my lambs. You're the lambs. I'm the lambs. (laughs) Lambs are young ones coming to the Lord. And the idea is that there was to be that direct correlation between the love of Peter and to the church. Peter was to feed them, and this is not feed them entertainment. This is not Make sure you guys are all happy with the message and that I say enough jokes so that you stay around and that there's lights and disco balls and fun things for you to go to. Is that what Jesus commanded Peter to do? The answer, church, is what? No. Feed them what? The word of God. So you wonder why we do what we do and how we do it. It's not perfect, I guarantee you. So much could be improved, I know it. Just like Peter before the Lord. But there's a reason why we don't do certain things and we do do other things. It's because what you need is what Jesus said you need. We want to stay faithful to that. You need the Word of God in your heart. Because it is is what will edify you and build you up and encourage you and convict you and lead you to grow in maturity, not antidotes from your pastor. You need Christ. You need his word in your heart, his command. He's the head of the church. He's the one who brings life to the rest of us. In an obedient pastor, an obedient eldership are those who feed on the word of God and in and, in and, and, Relay the word of God to the church. Primary, that's our primary role, is to seek the Lord, to be faithful to his word, to discern what it says and to give it out. If you love me, you're going to tend my lambs. You're going to feed my lambs. Feed them the word of God. Let me ask you, church, do you love, do you love Jesus? We don't have to deal with that inside, but... <laughs> I'll take it. Hey, do you, do you love Jesus? If Jesus said to you this morning, do you love me? What would you say? Then, then what? What has he called you to? What has the scripture said? What, what is he, the ministry that he's putting for you, be, be faithful to it. There's so many one another's we have in in the scriptures. There's like 50 of them in the New Testament. Love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. You know, I mean, there's tons of things he's called us to do that are just even relational, right? So he's commanding Peter, if you love me, then do this, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. Jesus said, do you love me with this supreme love? And Peter says, I love you like a brother. Two different words there. Same words. Peter, do you love me? Above all others, Peter says, I love you like a brother. So humbling for Peter. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. The word for tend here is the word shepherd. It's poema. That's where we get the word pastor. Which is what Peter was called to do. He says, if you supremely love me, then feed my sheep. And pastoring here encompasses not only the feeding of the sheep, but the governing governing of the sheep, the uh, protection of the sheep, the nourishing of the sheep, the cherishing of the sheep. And I read that, and I read the Greek definition of those things, and I'm convicted. Sometimes I have an empty net on this. Anybody else in your calling to shepherd your family or whatever it might be? Peter was called not only to teach, but to protect. It's not only feeding them food, but making sure they're getting good food. Right? There's tons of things out there that are infiltrating the church at all times that might be called good, but they're not what you need. And Some of you get upset because I don't go down certain roads, but that's, this is why. We've got so much to focus on the main thing, the main food to protect from all this weird doctrine that's out there, all these things that drive us into all these strange paths instead of just the pure Word of God. And obviously, I've already said I'm not perfect in discerning that. We've got a group of elders who help with this, but also we're learning. But there's a protection. There's the governing, the order of things. What would be good for you in these manners? You know, just as, as men, you are head of your house and you need to discern those things and, and how your family is to be fed or protected or taken care of provisionally, practically, all those things. From the church perspective, we have a spiritual responsibility and also just a, a practical responsibility to encourage us and equip us in love and good works. The practical outworking of the gospel. So Peter's gotten not only to teach, but to protect and to govern and cherish the body of Christ. This can't be done in Peter's own strength. How many of you mothers out there try to mother in your own strength? How many of you are pulling your hair out? Anybody? You know, I'm just saying. It gets, you need the Lord's strength. You need the Lord to encourage you and to fortify you to the things he's called you to. Peter can't do it in his own strength. It must come from a supreme love and a dependence upon Jesus. You see that? As he loves Jesus, he's empowered to love and to obey. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. What we don't see here is that Jesus brings it down to what Peter said Do you even love me like a brother? This is what Jesus is doing. He brings it down to where Peter is and says, do you love me like a brother? And Peter goes, you know I love you like a brother. That's all I got. Peter was grieved because Jesus even challenged that level of love. It seems like Jesus is being cruel, but he's not. He's letting Peter know where he truly was. And that Peter needed a total dependence upon the Lord, a total dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God. In his life, Peter hears this, he's grieved. It was the third time that Jesus said, Do you love me? And Jesus was collating that love to what had happened as he denied him three times. And Peter's connecting all these things. And three would be the number that Jesus would often speak to to Peter. Acts 10, somewhere around there. Remember the sheet comes down? How many times does the sheet have to come down from heaven? with all the animals on it that he could eat, three times. Then right after that, Gentiles come to the door. How many, how many people come to the door? Three, the Lord goes, hey Peter, remember? Hey Peter, remember? And Peter just had the sensitivity to the Lord after that. You love me, Peter? You're going to have to eat food you don't want to eat to be with people that don't know me. Follow me, and you'll catch fish. He was broken, and Jesus was showing Peter how empty his net had been. Not so Peter would despair, but that he would be restored, church. That he'd be restored and empowered for what was coming knowing that everything that would come would be dependent upon Jesus. And in the midst of this correction, Jesus in his love still calls Peter and commissions him. And that's an encouragement. How many of you have kind of had empty nets? You had a great zeal for the Lord, but then you ended up doing the whole denying him three, thing, three times thing. And I'm here to say that Jesus Christ is not left. He's come after you. And he wants you to come to repentance and to pick up and to start following him again in love and obedience. What a call. Amen? So Jesus says to him that third time, then feed my sheep. So feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. Feed the little ones, tend the flock of God, and feed the big ones as they grow up. Peter's call is only accomplished in the total humility and dependence upon Jesus. From the fish getting into the net, to the feeding, to the tending, it would all have to be the Lord working in and through Peter in love. And without stopping, without missing a beat there, church, look at the next verse as he commissions him. Right after he says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Then do these three things. And then verse 18, he just just continues right away. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you away where you do not want to go. And this he said to show him by what kind of death he would glorify God. The very thing that Peter desired to do in the flesh and could not accomplish, he would accomplish in the spirit 30 years from then. And church history tells us that, well, first of all, Peter was anticipating this day. In 2 Peter 1, 13 through 15, Peter is older here and he writes, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. I think it's right by stirring you up by way of reminder. In other words, the Lord's called me to feed you, to tend you, to protect you, to stir you up, to build you up. I think it's right. As long as I'm here, I'm still called by God to do these things. I'm going to be faithful in it, since I know that the putting off my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, you're going to die, Peter. You're going to be crucified. Your hands are going to be stretched out, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He was not taking the call of God lightly on him. Lightly, he was serious all the way until his death. How many of you are getting old? Anyone? And if you aren't, you are getting old. Every day, continue to follow the call of God in your life. It might look a little bit slower or different, but you know, there comes a time when you, start, you stop doing it all yourself and you start delegating things out. Continue to follow the Lord into old age until the day you're in the grave. Follow Jesus Christ. Peter fed them and he tended them and to them faithfully until that day. And as I said, really, just history records that Peter was crucified upside down because he said he was not worthy to die like his Lord. Peter got to the cross, and I think his wife was crucified before him, and he was comforting her as she was dying. And as he was about to get crucified, he says, listen, crucify me upside down, and they gladly did. So Peter died upside down on a cross. Jesus calls Peter from an empty net life to a full net life, and it was through emptying himself. And trusting fully in God. And after saying this, he said to him, verse 18, what did he say? He said, follow me. Follow me. Now, this was literal. He was, Jesus was getting up and moving. But it's also symbolic. Because that's exactly what happened on the shores of Galilee, Three years earlier, the first thing he said to him when they had their nets, he said, follow me. Right? And Peter left everything and followed him. Same thing. Same thing. Some of you have made commitments to Christ to follow him and all this stuff long ago, but you're, you've become stale in your walk. I've done it myself. I'm going through a season of difficulty right now myself in, in seeking out these things. But the call is still clear. Jesus gets, follow me. Where else is your life? Follow me. It's the same thing as it was back then. Follow me, lose yourself, and find your life in me. And so, Jesus gets up and walks, and Peter's following after him, verse 20. And Peter turns and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, that is John, He said to to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? You know, Peter, knowing his fate, sees John behind him following and says, hey, what about John? Now, I don't think it's like, hey, I'm going to die. What about him? Does he get it too? I think Peter loved John. I think they were best friends and he's following. He's like, what about him? Now, it could be the other way around. I don't know how you take it, but the point is, is that he was concerned about John. What's going to happen with John? Where's he going to go? What's going to happen with him? And so Peter wants to know what's going to happen. In verse 22 says, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Let every person in... Who's listening right now have ears what Jesus said to Peter and is hopefully saying to the church above our love for our kids, a love for above for our families, above for our love for our parents, our country, or whatever else it means, our money, our work, our hobbies, above all. The point is, you must follow Jesus. We must follow Jesus regardless of the plans the Lord has for others? Is he supreme in your life? Do you have a supreme love for him? And by the way, that's not something that you can just elevate from falejo to agape love. That's the work the Lord has to do in you. And by the way, he desires to do it in you. Pray and ask for him to do that work. And it's not like you're having to twist God's arm on that. That's his will, right? Right? Prayer isn't trying to twist God's arm, but it's twisting our will to his will. And he answers prayers like that. Lord, make me love like you love. I don't have this love. I see it. I've got an empty net here. Fill me with your love. And he will do that. That's his will. Change me. Put first. Lord, I love this person so much. Does that mean I need to now not like them as much? No. Lord, increase my love for you. Prioritize my life around the things that are of your kingdom. And what you'll find is that your love has a proper place for everyone else. You'll find that you'll you'll love them even more deeply and fully and correctly as you put Jesus first. The point is we must follow Jesus regardless of the plans others have. Jesus demands our utmost devotion. And in love and kindness, he calls us to himself. Jesus says to Peter, Regarding John, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? Peter, you're going to die of crucifixion. Don't concern yourself my, with my plans for John. If he survives till I can come, it's no concern. So ask yourself, what concerns do you have? It's not that we don't have concern for one another. But don't let those things stop you from following the Lord. Is Jesus the supreme love of your life? Follow Jesus. And in closing, verse 23, So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. That this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? It's amazing how we can take something that Jesus said and turn it into something else. And John has to clarify it. No, no, I'm actually, he didn't say that I would stay until he remained. He said if. It was hypothetical. And some think that this might have actually been prophetic, looking forward to Revelation as John was translated to the day of the Lord and saw all those things. So there's room for that. But both Peter and John needed to run their own race, following after Jesus, not comparing their lives with others. And now John pulls back the veil of the cryptic authorship. We're wondering who this other disciple is. In verse 24, he says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about all these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John again testifies that he's an eyewitness of all these things. He was there. He saw it. He listened. He touched. He felt. He was around. He heard. He listened to. He was with God in the flesh, as he will talk about in 1 John chapter 1. And John finishes his gospel by saying in verse 25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Where every one of them were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And so John lets us know that it is a selective account. He is specific in what he's writing for the purpose. As he said in the previous chapter at the end, at verses 30 and 31. He says the reason why he's done all these things, the reason why he's recorded the miracles for us, the reason why he's, he's recorded the fulfillment of prophecy, the reason why he's recorded the eyewitness of the upper room and all these things and, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and them doubting and Jesus bringing them to the point of faith. The reason is it said there in John chapter 20, 30 through 31, now Jesus did many other signs and in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. And if you are listening at home, online, or here, and you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, today is the day. Jesus Christ, sent from the Father, became a man, lived the life that we did not live, proved that he was the son of God by the miracles wrought by his hands, the death that he died on your behalf to pay the price for your sins. And he rose again from the dead and he ascended to the father and he's coming back. And he calls that all men should repent, all women should repent. That means turn from your sin like Peter on the shore, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. The Holy Spirit will convict you. If you are convicted of your sin this morning, that is the Holy Spirit. Do not deny him. Today is the day of salvation. Confess your sin to him. Call to him and say, Lord, I don't have the ability to repent. I give it to you. I turn in my heart and and I give it to you. Change me. Forgive me. I believe that you died and your blood shed on the cross satisfies the wrath of God. And not only that, that you rose again and your righteousness is is now my righteousness, you're made right. His life was given to us in exchange for our sinfulness. How beautiful is that? By faith. It's all by faith, church, believing in Jesus Christ. And if you believe that in your heart, if you confess it with your mouth, you have been saved, the Bible says. The fruit of that is now going to be displayed in your life. In how you live. Those things don't save us, they're the proof thereof. So I'd invite you at home or here to believe upon Jesus. That's why we've been reading this. In church, I want to encourage you. It is time to be bold in your faith with the gospel. It is time to open your mouth with masks on or whatever you got to do. Begin to share the gospel. Know that what you are preaching is true. And you might go, I don't really know about this. Start to step out and faith, and God will take care of you as you go. He'll provide what you need. There's a lost world out there going berserk with all the wrong answers. And the answer to this is people's hearts changed one heart at a time, and God's love being placed in our hearts for one another. You are the light of the world. You're it, you're God's plan. The reason why he sent the disciples was to reach you in Walla Walla 2,000 years later. And his spirit has drawn you to him. And now as he's drawn you to him, it's not so that we can sit in our chairs always and, and just take in the word of God, but then to go give our lives away that others might live and embrace the suffering until that day. We need a boldness, church, and not an arrogance, a humble boldness. And I want to grow with you in that. And so ask the Lord for those opportunities to share the gospel. And don't cop out on, well, I'll just help change someone's tire and never share anything with them. Yeah, that might be a bridge to something, but they might drop dead the next day. Take advantage of the opportunities the Lord has given you, church, and just trust Him in the moment. And you're not going to be perfect, as I have displayed for the past 10 years. Amen? So let's encourage one another in the Lord, not only to hear the word, but to be doers of the word. And may God bring many people to humble repentance, not by our ability to communicate or our ability to fish, but by the Lord directing the fish into the nets and us just being faithful to cast the net into the waters. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the glory and honor for this time we've had in John. Thank you so much, Lord. I pray that um, what is of you would remain in the hearts of your people and what is not would be swept away. And um, you're so good. You've been so good that we can sit here and, and read your word and take it in and our souls are fed and changed and molded and encouraged and the life of Christ wells up within us. And so, Lord, we, 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 like Peter, come to you again broken and saying, we love you, but we want to love you like this, like you loved us. And so, Lord, as you called us and you are sending us, empower us to do so, Lord. Fill the life of our, sa- the sails of our lives with your word, by your spirit. And may we be drifting straight into the places that you have for us. There'd be much fruitfulness for your kingdom. And so we commit our lives to you, our weight to you, our ups and downs, we trust. We commit ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.